Well, it's the Sunday before Christmas, which can only mean as I was preparing for this message, I had to consider a Christmas message. I considered it. I wasn't real sure what a Christmas message meant, so I looked it up. I was curious what the internet would tell me, and I searched on Bing. I typed in the words, what is a Christmas sermon? Well, the first thing that came up was 14 Christmas sermon illustrations. The number one illustration was a commando in enemy territory. It was at that point I realized why we make fun of those who pull sermons off the internet. Um, You pay me to prepare, to study, and to try to present something coherent, and I do take that very seriously anytime I stand to give the Word of God. I want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. And I want you to know I've never just grabbed a sermon, um, but I do take the time to prepare. And you know how I feel about the calendar trying to tell us what we need to preach and all that kind of stuff. But I shouldn't be so against that because Jesus used the calendar to His advantage. And I should do the same, I reckon. And so I shouldn't be so hard on that. We get to zero in on certain truths. And um, So I began to ask God, what is it you would have me to preach about today before Christmas? And so after I prayed much about it, I've decided to preach a sermon entitled, A Commando in Enemy Territory. (laughs) Uh, um, I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. In all seriousness, I, I do want to obey the Holy Spirit's leading, and We've already witnessed several times as we've been going through this gospel account. We'll be in John, uh, John 18. We've already seen several times going through this gospel account that we've landed on certain passages that actually line up with the calendar. And I have found that remarkable as we have gone through this. And we've seen that several times now over the course of four years. And today is no different. I began to seek about what to preach, and I was amazed when I realized that our progression through John has led us to a verse where Jesus talks about why He came into this world. And so what are the odds of that? Amen? You know I don't plan this out. I take it week by week, and I'm I'm not a planner anyway. My wife is. She probably knows what's happening, and I just live in the now. Amen? And so I could not have prepared to land on this, but... Said all that to say this, we're not going to set aside our series in John this morning. We're going to progress through that and we'll see uh, how this will be a quasi-Christmas sermon. With that, let's go to John chapter 18 and I would like to read verses 28 through 40. The Bible says in John 18 beginning in verse 28, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. 
that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And so last week we began to study this religious corruption of justice as Jesus is put on trial. We watched as Jesus was brought before Annas, and then he was brought before the high priest Caiaphas. And we saw in Matthew's account that Caiaphas said to Jesus, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And with that response, the high priest rent his garments and There's a great message in that picture that I remember Ed Betts preaching once when we were in North Dakota and he had come up for a visit and and I intend to steal his notes at some time, amen? And uh, just grab his sermon and preach that for you. But there's a message in that and we'll save that for another time. But the high priest then said, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What thank ye? They answered and said, He's guilty of death. And now in our text, we see that Jesus is led from Caiaphas to stand before Pontius Pilate. And he was the Roman governor over Judea. Remember from last week that in order for Jesus to be put to death, he would have to be found guilty before the Jewish council, which we saw last week before the high priest. And he would have to go before the Roman court to have them condemn him as well, because as we see in verse 31, the Jews had lost their ability of capital punishment through the court system. Though earlier in Jesus' ministry, they sought to pick up stones to kill him, there would still be occasional stonings that would happen as people would uprise, But to go through the courts and condemn someone to death, they had lost that ability to do that. And so at this point, remember, Jesus has such a large following that if they're going to condemn this man to death, they are fearing that there's going to be an uprise of the people, that there's going to be a riot in the streets because Jesus had so many people that admired Him and followed Him. I don't know that they understood it all, but they they followed this man. And they're fearing... 
Okay, we got to be careful how we do this because we don't want blood on our hands because then the city's going to re- revolt and then the Rome, Romans are going to come in and they're going to put down that revolt and maybe take away our nation. These religious Jews, they're more concerned about how the people perceive them than how God saw them. And that's been the downfall of many throughout history. There may be some in here this morning, you're more concerned about how people will view you than how God will view you. And for that reason, you've yet to swallow your pride and be born again. Well, I'd be embarrassed if I come forward in a church service and admit that I need Christ as my Savior. It's pride. And it's been the downfall of many. And what no one really understood at this point is how God is directing all of this behind the scenes. Because notice in verse 32, it says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Jesus had told his disciples earlier on in his ministry that he would be delivered up to the Gentiles and that he would be scourged and he would be beaten and even says that I would be crucified. Jesus had told him the manner in which he would die. Crucifixion was Rome's form of capital punishment. Therefore, in order for Jesus' prophecy to come true, His death is going to have to go through the Roman system. They're going to have to have a hand in this because Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. Not to mention, Jesus' crucifixion was foretold in the Old Testament. Psalm 22 So many things that happened on the cross were foretold of there in Psalm 22. In fact, the psalm opens up with these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The exact words that Jesus would say upon the cross. And in that psalm, it tells us of the crucifixion of Christ where it says, The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And that can only refer to crucifixion. And so all the way back in the Old Testament, well before, hundreds of years before the world was even using the means of crucifixion to put people to death, the Bible had already said Jesus was going to be pierced. That He was going to be crucified in essence. And so this was predicted well before it was ever even in existence. I mean, that's the Bible, amen? Listen, it knows you better than you know yourself. And so it had foretold of this. Jesus had said it. The Bible had said it. And so in order for this to happen... It's got to go through the Romans. And that's the backdrop for why Jesus is standing now before Pontius Pilate. And we see in verse 28 the time frame of Jesus being brought before Pilate. It says, when it was early. Jesus was arrested in the dark of night, maybe the very early morning hours. And His trial before the council was hurried through so that they can rush this thing through to the Roman side of the house in order to prevent what they would think would be an uprising. And so what we're witnessing here is the council trying to push this uh, thing through the system before people get up and get going. And so it's early in the morning when He stands before Pilate. And listen, this is when the wicked like to work. The Bible says in Micah 2.1, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it's in the power of their hand. And so what they had devised upon the night watches, they are now in the early light of day beginning to put those things into motion. 
and we're, we're watching this hurried through. Remember, the council had made their money through the corruption of the religious system that they had uh, corrupted the exchange rates. They had corrupted the sacrifices and the, and the purchasing of those. And they were making all kinds of money through their corruption using religion as their cloak to make all this money. And it's no wonder people live in a day where they say, I don't want anything to do with the church because all they care about is your money. Listen, I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. This church will go forward because it is the church of the living God. And it's been purchased by the blood of Christ. Now, if you're right with God, you'll do what His Word commands and you'll give. But I just wanted to get that out of the way. For some reason, that popped into my head. Jesus is a threat to their income. Notice their hypocrisy in the remainder of verse 28. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. (laughs) The religious Jews were notorious for adding to the Word of God. They would, in many cases, you can see it as, let's add something here that will prevent us from going there. I don't, I don't care the reason why somebody adds to the Word of God. It's wrong. Adam added to the Word of God. He told Eve, don't even touch it. It's not what God said. God said, don't eat from it. So by adding to the Word of God, it actually corrupted what Eve thought was going to happen because she said, lest we touch it, we'll die. And guess what? When Satan had her touch it, she didn't die. Well, I might as well eat of the thing because if, if God's wrong about me touching it, He must be wrong about me eating it. So you see, when we add to the Word of God, it only causes problems. And, and, and the, the religious Jews, they routinely added to the law. It became known as their oral law. Jesus called it their traditions. It's still followed by Orthodox Jews today. You can read a volume, volume after volume, of what's called the Talmud. And you can read the oral law. And it's insane. It's, it's how you can stay right with God if you do X, Y, and Z. That's not what the Bible says. Well, I talked about the problems with religion last week, so I'm not going to take a whole lot of time here, but I just want to mention again, this is what happens in religions. What happens is their traditions end up superseding the Word of God. And we start to allow those things that have become just something we do over time and over time and over well, we always sing three hymns and preach. That's just a dumb example, but, you know, we always, what are you doing? Why didn't we have that extra song? And when we start doing that, we start building into the Word of God, and there are actually people that are rail against you, even amongst Baptists, that'll tell you, well, you didn't do your service right. What? Have you lost your mind? Are you the one pastor in this church? I didn't think so. Shut up. Um, not you guys in here. I'm talking about outsiders. And so they would routinely add to the Word of God. And, and that became something that superseded the Word of God. And what it did is it kept them from following the truth of God's Word. And, and listen, this is why. This is why in religion, the catechisms are held above the Word of God. This is why in religion, the second testament of Christ outweighs the New Testament. 
It's religion. It's tradition. It is superseding the Word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Well, the council here, they had developed this idea that during this week, this holy week, if you will, they could not enter into a place of a Gentile. They might touch something that would defile them. And so this council here, they say, we can't enter into Pilate's judgment hall because we're Jews. That's a Gentile institution and we might be defiled before the Passover. Now, can you just imagine their hypocrisy? Here's a group of men and they are attempting to have an innocent man put to death. And yet they are so religious that they say we can't enter in or else we might be defiled. And then we won't be able to partake of the Passover week. Do you see the hypocrisy that's happening here? And what this proves is people can be very religious and yet be very wicked. You see, religion's never going to save anybody. Only the blood of Christ can save. This is why Jesus said, to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27, and 28. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You see, religion can clean up the outside. It does a good job of that. But it cannot clean up the inside. God says, I don't work on the outside first. But I work on the inside and work my way out. The Pharisees are proving here that religion cannot save anybody. You can still be wicked in your heart and come to church. You can be a Baptist by religion. That doesn't save you. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God still saves Baptists. For that's what I was when I got saved. Amen. What we need is we need a relationship with God. Know that we know Him. Well, because they refused to enter the judgment hall, Pilate, he's nice enough that he comes out to them in verse 29. And he asked them, What accusation bring ye against this man? They respond in verse 30, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Just take note of how they speak of Christ. They call the sinless, perfect one a malefactor. So what does that mean? It means he was, in their mind, an evildoer. He was a criminal worthy of death. But all they do is allege His guilt. They don't prove anything. And imagine Jesus who was sinless, who only went about doing good, is reduced to an evildoer in their eyes. What was it Jesus had done to them? He taught them the Word of God. He fed the multitudes. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. And He even raised the dead. And yet they hated Him. It's amazing to me how religions will view Jesus. 
And I don't think Pilate here is all too happy with them at this particular juncture. They have caused the governor, a man of high ranking in society, a man of importance, they have caused him to rise early to hear this case. And he asked them, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they really have no answer except to say he's a malefactor. And I think Pilate here is a little put out with them. And I think what he says in verse 31 is said with a little aggravation. Take ye him and judge him according to your law. Why are you bothering me with this? I asked you what you had against this man, and now you're just telling me, go and judge him. Well, the Jews here are, well, wait a minute. We, we want him dead. And we don't have the right to do that. It's not lawful for us to put any man to death. They had lost their ability to exercise capital punishment through their own judicial system, and so it must go through the Romans. And, and listen, I want you to get this. This ought to have been an indication to them that the Messiah had arrived. You say, well, why is that? Well, in Genesis 49, when Jacob gathers his 12 children together and he's going to bless them and he's going to tell them what's going to befall them in the latter days, which is here, he says to, when he gets to Judah, he says to Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Meaning Judah would have this ability to rule. Wait a minute. They've lost that ability. The scepter's gone. But they weren't looking for Shiloh. Shiloh's just an Old Testament name for Christ. And so they should have been putting this together, being people who claimed to know the Word of God so well. And yet they were missing it. Well, in Luke's account, the council here, they go on to tell Pilate when Pilate says, go judge him according to your law. Well, the Jews say to Pilate at that point, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. They only had one thing correct in their accusations. And that's debatable. It was a lie that Jesus was perverting the nation. If anything, Jesus was trying to bring the nation back to righteousness. And I see our own nation in that. There are many who will say, the problem with America is those Christians. They're the ones perverting our nation. And as the socialists seek to unleash their agenda, you can bet it's those pesky Christians that are standing in their way. Amen. Secondly, it was an outright lie that Jesus was forbidding any to give tribute to Caesar. I mentioned last week, He had already said to the Pharisees, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and under God the things that are God. He was not forbidding that anybody pay tribute to Caesar. If anything, he said the exact opposite. The only statement they kind of got right was that Christ was a king. But the reason I say kind of, they got it wrong because they only saw Christ as being the king of an earthly kingdom. They were not looking heavenward. And they understood by Jesus admitting that He was the Christ in Mark 14.62. And I have to point that out because there's a nut down in Texas trying to tell people that Jesus never proclaimed Himself to be the Christ. What? 
It's in Mark 14, 62. And the reason he says that is he says, well, it's not their fault they didn't accept the Messiah. He never admitted it. What? That makes no sense. So you can flip over in your Bible if you have a King James and read Mark 14, 62. You'll see. But... They understood that if it was true that Jesus was the Christ, then He would in fact have to be a king because the Messiah would be a king. And He would be the one to come in and and give them deliverance, an earthly deliverance. They were not looking for the spiritual deliverance from their sin. And in their mind, if Jesus can be put to death, it's going to prove to them and to others, this man is lying. He's not the Messiah. If He was the, the Messiah, He would not die. He would not die in defeat. But of course, in God's providence, the Messiah had to die. Amen? But it wasn't in defeat. It was in victory. And it was through that death that Christ wrought our salvation and we can now have eternal life. You see, God destroys the wisdom of the wise. And He makes foolish the wisdom of this world. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, Christ's death is a paradox to the lost, but believers know the cross is the wisdom of God. Well, upon hearing that Jesus was Heralded as a king, Pilate's interest perked up. Because remember, he's not going to care if there's some guy running around saying he's the son of God. But he is going to be concerned if there's some guy running around saying he's the king of the Jews because he might lead an insurrection against Rome. And so he begins his questioning in verse 33 by asking, Art thou the king of the Jews? Look at Jesus' response in verse 34. Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? (laughs) Pilate, are you just hearing rumors? Have you seen me be treasonous? Or are you asking because you're a judge? Because if you're a judge, where's your proof? Look, Jesus should not have to prove His innocence. They should be having to prove His guilt. Are you asking because of political matters in regard to Rome? Or are you asking because my accusers are presenting me before you on a religious basis? If it's political, then Pilate's going to have to deal with this. If it's religious, Jesus wants to know, is it because you're searching your heart? And if it's religious, Pilate's probably not going to want any part of it. However, Jesus meant the question. Pilate responds in verse 35. Am I a Jew? Can't you imagine how snarky he would have said that? Pilate's response indicates to me that he was not asking this of himself and that because he was not a Jew, he was not interested in their religious affairs. And he answers, Others have told me this by saying, Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? If you're not going to give me an answer on whether or not you're the king then tell me, what is it you've done that you've been brought before me? So Jesus essentially answers Pilate's original question. (laughs) I love how Jesus handles all this. I find it very humorous. But He essentially answers Pilate's original question by stating in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. Oh, so you are a king. 
I mean, if, if, look, if you have a kingdom, you're a king, right? I mean, and so Jesus essentially answers his first question. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. If I were a secular king, my subjects would fight for me. But as you can see, there's nobody here fighting for me. Therefore, my kingdom is not of this world. And I believe Pilate, upon hearing such things, would have thought this man was a lunatic. I just think about it. He's not thinking about some spiritual kingdom. He's not thinking about some heavenly kingdom. This man comes up and says, I've got a kingdom, not of this world. Okay, buddy. Look, he, he's not guilty, but who, who do you want me to release unto you? And, and so, it's, to me, I think Pilate probably hears that and goes, okay, he, he might be nuts, but he's not guilty. And so it's probably crazy for him to think this way. And just think about Pilate's question and Jesus' response so far. Art thou the king of the Jews? And I think Jesus is saying, what sense would that make? I was delivered to the Jews. If I were the king of the Jews, why would my own people deliver me up? Right? Well, doesn't that make sense to you? I mean... uh, Jesus, I think, is like, why don't you try to connecting the dots? Pilate, you're the judge. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, it was the Jews that he was brought before. And they're the ones that led him to Pilate. The Pharisees had earlier asked, before all the events of this night, when the kingdom of God should come. And Jesus told them, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That would be worth it for you to get a hold of. The kingdom of God is within you. So many people so concerned about prophecy, and when's this, and when's that. You know when the kingdom came? It came when Jesus was here. He said it doesn't come with observation, but it is within you. Well, if that's not enough to convince you, Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So are you in the kingdom? Do you have peace? Are you righteous? Do you have joy? If Christ's kingdom was of this world, He's saying, I would have been defended by carnal weapons, but since my kingdom is spiritual and not of this world, it is maintained and it is defended by my power. And by the prayers of His his subjects, us, the saints, our spiritual warfare, we don't wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood. His kingdom is not of this world, but it is in this world. Pilate wasn't satisfied, so he asked in verse 37, Art thou a king then? Would you just answer my question, please? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. (laughs) And then Jesus states the following in the remainder of verse 37. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And this is where we find our Christmas sermon angle. Jesus said, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into this world. 
There are many reasons the Bible gives for why Christ came into this world, but they all center around the fulfillment of God's Word. And the specific reason given here is that Jesus should bear witness unto the truth. And that's what I've come to do to you this morning. The truth is, Christ came to establish His kingdom. God had promised to David that He would raise up a king that would sit on the throne forever. That clearly was not fulfilled in Solomon, for the kingdom in in Israel is gone. The angel Gabriel told Mary, and of His kingdom there shall be no end. So what's the dilemma? If you tune me out, tune me in. What's the dilemma? Christ came to establish His kingdom, but there's a major problem. This is part of why He came. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Shall fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. So why did Christ have to come to this earth to establish His kingdom where only the righteous can enter in? It's because we're all sinners. We're all unrighteous without Christ. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before a holy God. Something had to take place in order for you and for me to be counted worthy to inherit God's kingdom. 1 Timothy 1.15 says that this is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world... To save sinners. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And He said, the Son of Man came to give His life a ransom for many. And if you'll piece the words of Christ together that I just gave you, you'll find this, that we are all lost sinners apart from God but that Christ came to save lost sinners by giving Himself in our place as our ransom. This is the truth for which Christ came. This is why He was born into the world, to let you know that there's a way to be right with God. There's a way to have a home in heaven. There's a way to spend all eternity with Christ. There's a way to have your sins forever forgiven. Hallelujah! Praise God! That's why He came. He wanted to give us the truth that you and I can be saved by the power of God. He had to be perfect. He had to be sinless if He was going to be our ransom. And for that reason, He had to be born of a virgin. His blood had to be perfect and precious blood. It could not be tainted by being conceived by some earthly man because in Adam all have sinned. We all inherited a sin nature. Your mama did not have to teach you how to tell a lie. Because we're all sinners. Had to be perfect blood. And for that reason, the Bible tells us in something that I may never fully comprehend, but that the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary 
And she conceived the Christ. And listen, payment for our sin had to be made if we were ever to be forgiven of our crimes against a holy God. As lost sinners, we're under the judgment of God. We can never pay our own ransom. But when Christ came and He gave Himself a ransom for many by shedding His blood, we were able to share in our union with Him and be reconciled to God. And despite what some churches are teaching, you say, why would Christ have to come? I'll tell you what the Bible says. He came to save us from the wrath to come. Amen. And I know this isn't popular, and I've got to say it anyway, or else what good am I? Some churches want to deny this, but there is still an eternal penalty for sin. Amen. I do not say that with joy. I do not say that to mock any. But there is an eternal separation from God in a place called the lake of fire for all that will reject Christ. It's a real place. And if you rebel against the Lord and you reject Him, you'll share in the damnation of Satan. Jesus will say to those who have rejected Him and His free gift of salvation, Depart from Me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20 and verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. But the lake of fire was never prepared for you, It was prepared for the devil and his angels. However, if you rebel against God and you forsake salvation in Christ alone, then you'll be forced to share in their torment forever. Satan's downfall was his pride. I mentioned this earlier. But it'll be your pride that sends you to a devil's hell. This is the truth of God's Word. This is not my opinion. Man would have never developed this. Don't believe me? Look at man's religions. None of them have an eternal damnation. Not a one. They have watered down the idea of it. They might believe in something called annihilation where you cease to exist or some place called outer darkness, but it is not a place where there's a lake of fire. This is the truth. This is what Christ came to tell of. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, study your Bible and you'll find that Jesus talked more about hell than He did about heaven. It's the truth. And while I know it's not what some want to hear, how could I stand before you and tell you that I preach the gospel and not give you the whole counsel of God? But hallelujah. The other side of this truth is that Christ came to save He came to seek and to save. He's seeking for sinners right now who will simply yield themselves and be saved. And in Christ, we can inherit His kingdom uncondemned. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Truly, Christ was born to die upon the cross. And in so doing, He established His eternal kingdom. The day will come when He will rule and reign upon this earth as King. He's already functioned as our prophet. He is now functioning as our great high priest. And He will come to this earth one day and He will rule as King. But His kingdom has already come. 
in the sense that those who are saved and have the Holy Ghost indwelling them are made partakers of His heavenly kingdom. We are made citizens of another country. And I want to ask you this morning, are you a citizen of that kingdom today? Have you had your sins washed away by the blood? Or are you still separated from God because you've yet to ask Christ's forgiveness for your sins? Christ was born into the world to bring you salvation. And all you have to do is place your faith and trust in Him alone. Not you and your works, not you and your baptism, not you and your church membership, but what Christ has done and what He has done alone in in being the precious Lamb of God. And through that, we can have His righteousness placed upon us. And then when God looks upon us, He sees Christ's righteousness and not our own. And in this, you will be made worthy to inherit the kingdom of God. If you are not sure of your eternal destination, won't you come to Christ today? What are you waiting on? Don't let your pride be the reason you are separated from God for all eternity. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you been born again today? Let's pray.